Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we discover God's glory in what He's doing around the world. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, church planters, and disciple makers as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Have you ever wondered whether the principles of disciple making and church planting could work in a church in the U.S.? If you have, you're going to want to keep on listening. Our guest today pastors Onward Church in Fishers, Indiana. His church was planted using the Training for Trainers or T4T principles. Those are the same principles that we've heard about that have led to exponential church growth on the mission field. And now he has seen how making disciples here in the U.S. leads to multiplication. Gary Stump, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you, Brian. Great to be with you this morning. So I've given a little bit of an introduction as far as you know the fact that your church uses a, a training for trainers method to uh, to make disciples and to reach out into the community. But before we get into that, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. And I've shared sure. a little bit about your story. Uh, as I was looking through the materials on your website, there was uh, a comment about uh, breakfast with a businessman that kind of changed the trajectory of your life. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? I am delighted to share that story. Uh, I grew up going to church, but I was in the business world and it was all about me. I was, uh, uh, it was my plan and my agenda and my dreams, and I was going to make so much money that uh, uh, it would blow people's minds. And uh, uh, one morning, I'm having breakfast with a, another businessman, and he begins to tell me how I can have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And I was annoyed at him. I thought, why do you not think I'm a Christian? I, I go to church. I believe in God. Matter of fact, I'm a big fan of Jesus. And uh um, I, after all, I'm an American. Surely I'm a Christian. And as he continued to talk to me, he talked to me as if he understood something that I didn't understand. And this thought occurred, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> what if he knew something I didn't know? I wouldn't know I didn't know it. So that morning, there was just this moment of surrender where I said, yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he rose from the dead. And uh, Lord, I ask you to come into my life and take control. And it's exactly what he did. And uh, he began to show me that his plan and his agenda was better than anything I could have experienced for myself. And I've been uh, walking with the Lord now since September 17th, 1975. So uh, this September will be my 40th birthday. And uh, what a joy it is walking with the Lord and seeing him at work in my life. So every time, every once in a while, when I'm connecting with a guest and we're hearing a little bit about their history, I hear a, a story that's similar to this, you know, a, a mm -hmm. story of, you know, I grew up in church and I was involved and yet 
uh, there there was something missing, and then there was this point in time where everything changed. Yes, and you know that's that's the the story that you shared. Can you share with us maybe a little bit about how your life has been different since that time? Absolutely. When uh, uh, first thing I did was I began to ground myself in the Word of God, and I had a great uh, discipler. Uh, his name was Peter Paul John. <laughs> Not kidding. That was his given name, <laughs> Pete John. He was a businessman here in Indianapolis, and uh, uh, he began to take me through a program of discipleship, and I began to ground myself in the Word of God. And I thought, um, all right, God invented me, and he invented marriage. I'd been married for about a year then, and uh, then he wrote a book. What if I learned what he said about marriage and tried to apply it to our lives. And my wife did the same and our marriage just flourished. And uh, then uh, the kids started coming along, same thing with parenting. And uh, the more I learned about the Lord and applied his word to my life, the the more blessed my life became. And uh, then in 1988, my wife and I were out celebrating my 35th birthday. We'd been married almost 14 years. And uh, celebrate, by the way, when you have four kids at home means you go to dinner and a movie, and by 10, 15 at night, you're on your way home. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, we were driving home, minding our own business, and a drunk driver hit us, and uh, Donna was killed instantly. And uh, as I was trapped in the car uh, and realized that she was gone, I remember just crying out to God, saying, oh, God, no, this isn't happening. And God spoke to the quietness of my heart, and he said, do you really trust me, or do you just say that you trust me? Mm-hmm. And Brian, I had a huge decision to make, yeah. and uh, yet I knew the Lord. I knew there was nowhere else to turn, and I chose to trust him. And through the valley of the shadow of death, he proved himself and his person and his word to me in such a profound way. And it was after that experience that God began to deal with me to call me to become a pastor. And uh, so I left the business world and became a pastor in 1989, and uh, I haven't looked back. It's been a joy uh, walking with the Lord and serving Him. And then by God's incredible grace, He brought Kathy into my life, and she became the mother to my children as if she had given birth to them. And uh, um, uh, it's just been an amazing uh, miracle to watch God put our family back together after that horrendous loss. And uh, now our kids are grown. They they married, sold out Christian spouses. And uh, we have uh, 16 grandchildren and one on the way. So God is good. We also have a 16-year-old, which I tell people is Kathy's uh, fifth child and first baby. Okay. And uh, what a joy it's been walking with the Lord. You know, as you were sharing about that that difficult time in your life, I was thinking, you know, you know, obviously God got you through that, but a lot of times it seems like God works through the other people in our lives, that he ministers through them. Sure, he ministers directly, but sometimes he also sends people into our lives. Were there people who helped support you in that time? 
Oh, absolutely. We were we were very uh, involved in our local church. Uh, I taught a Sunday school <laughs> uh, class, and uh, the people, the brothers and sisters in Christ, surrounded me. Uh, the The pastors at our church were amazingly helpful and encouraging. Uh, our Sunday school class, which would be like our small group today, uh, they were there for us providing meals and help and encouragement and and mostly prayer and counsel and and absolutely God uses his people to the body ministers to itself when you're hurting no doubt about it and we saw that in profound ways so as you think about your your life and the ministry that God's given you is there maybe a, a meaningful quote or a scripture or something that serves as kind of the foundation for how you approach life and ministry um, but yeah, my, I think my life verse is the right way to, to answer that question. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, uh, for the word of God is inspired and God breathed and is profitable for, for teaching and for instructing in righteousness, correcting so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, uh, I've, I've learned that God has communicated to us out of his word and that he has written this love letter, this amazing book uh, to declare himself to us and his, his purposes, his ways. And uh, absolutely, that's been my life verse is to stay centered uh, on the word of God. So, As I think about that verse, I certainly think, of, you know, it's easy to see how that in, applies in terms of body life, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, working with each other. Uh, how do you apply that within your your own life as well? Um, I think the best way to answer this, uh, uh, Job says, uh, I have treasured your word more than my necessary food. And, uh, that, that has just been my life, Brian, is to see how, um, um, I talk to God through prayer and he talks to me through his word. And it's been almost like breathing in and out is the best way to think of that. And that's been true for all the years I've been a Christian, not just since I've been a pastor. And uh, my my uh, you know bring, understanding my priorities in life and bringing that to the ministry has been an extremely important concept. Uh, that God is number one, not my ministry. God is number one. My relationship, my intimacy with Him is number one. My wife is number two. My kids are number three, and then my job and ministry are number four. And keeping those in priority are, have been crucial. And because of that, um, God has poured out blessing on my family. And, and uh, I just stand in awe of looking at these amazing kids and grandkids and what God has done uh, in, in their lives and the, the effect that he's having through their life. And uh, man, I can't even imagine how someone gets through life without knowing the Lord and walking with him. And the better question is, why would someone go through life without uh, the Lord when he's so near each of us, if we'll just turn to him? Yeah. Well, one thing I'd like to key in on, if it's okay, is you Mm -hmm. shared a little bit about priority, you know, putting God first and, and, and that, and as a person who's involved in lay ministry, I can certainly say that it's difficult to keep those priorities right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's almost always easy to, easier to put some kind of ministry to people even outside of the family above all of that other stuff. Can you share how you keep all of that in perspective? Um, 
first of all, when I first became a Christian, when I first started walking with the Lord, my the guy who discipled me, that Pete John, mm-hmm. taught me about the priorities of life and that God is number one, our wife, my wife is number two, my kids are number three, then my job and ministry. And back then, job and ministry were separated a little more than they are today. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and that was that that was the proper priority. And that meant that you have to walk with the Lord and spend time with him and talk with him and encourage, uh, be encouraged by him and uh, be instructed and trained by him. And you do that by making sure that you're spending time with him, not just one time a day, but that you're spending time with him throughout the day. And uh, then making sure that I don't, that, that the people closest to me think the most of me as opposed to trying to get the people who aren't close to me to think the most of me. And, uh, and you do that by just pouring into, into your marriage, into your, um, into your kids, spending great quantities and quality time with your kids. And, uh, I took my kids through discipleship one-on-one when they turned 14, I walked them through the same lessons that uh, Pete John had taken me through uh, many years before and uh, just built, tried to build that spiritual foundation in the lives of our kids. And uh, ultimately, Brian, no matter what I would do, the kids have to decide to walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And you just try to create the correct environment. And by God's incredible grace, uh, each of them, he saved and uh, called and encouraged and, and uh, uh, led and they followed. And uh, what an amazing joy it is to look at a family when, when uh, the kids are, are sold out for Jesus. It doesn't get better than that, I want to tell you. Yeah. You, you've definitely spoken to one of the deepest things in, in our hearts as far as prayers for our children. Uh, even when our, our oldest, our daughter, was born, one of the things we prayed at that age was that there would be enough of God's presence in our home that she would be familiar with what he feels like because yes. we knew we couldn't teach her the words and all of that stuff at the time, but we wanted her to know him. Amen. That's been our prayer. Yeah. One of the things that that I do uh, with the birth of each of my grandkids, each of my kids, is the second I pick them up, uh, whether that's at the hospital or wherever that is where I first pick them up, I I introduce myself and uh, (laughs) then I tell them that, um, uh, you, you know, that Jesus loves them and that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for, for them and that he loves them and desires a great life and wants to bless them and, and uh, walk with them all the days of their life. So I know that my kids, there was not a single minute in their life when they did not hear and, and know about the Lord. And uh, man, that is, that is, <laughs> my one prayer for my kids, here would be another thought, is uh, my one prayer that I've prayed I, tens of thousands of times. I, I don't, I didn't care about where they went to school or or whether they were good in sports or whether they they uh, were popular. My one and only prayer is that I would be able, by God's grace, that we would be able to deliver our kids to adulthood sold out to Christ. Mm. That's the only prayer. 
If, if we can get that done, then I don't care if they're president of a corporation or whatever they do for a job, it couldn't matter, that, that they will have a blessed life if they walk into adulthood as fully devoted followers of Christ. And uh, that, that's the goal. And all the other things that parents stress about, some of the things I used to stress about when I was a young parent, um, all that stuff is, it just pales in comparison next to that. You know, as you're sharing, I'm thinking of the scripture that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's clear that this is coming from an abundant place in your heart. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break for the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute, brought to you by Scott McClelland of FX Missions. Hi, this is Scott McClelland with your Leadership Minute. Today, I'd like to talk to you about something I call great man syndrome. You probably have recognized this. A lot of times as our capacity and leadership grows and our um, fame or notoriety grows, our ego grows along with it. But in the kingdom of God, greatness is measured by depth of humility. E. Stanley Jones said, we grow small trying to be great. And I have observed that. A lot of times, ego tries to supplant your significance, especially as it's growing and you're being recognized for your contribution. So I want to encourage you, let's keep our mind, as our leadership grows and expands, on humility, on walking humbly before God and with others. Some people say, the way you treat wait staff or people who are waiting on you in restaurants, has a direct bearing on your evident humility uh, that you have on board. So maybe you can think about that. How did you treat that last waiter that or waitress that came to your table? Something to think about. Great man syndrome, not a good thing. Let's remain humble before God and others. This is Scott McClellan with your Leadership Minute. Contact us at fxmissions.com or on most social media channels at fxmissions. Have a good one. This has been the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute. If you have any leadership questions that you'd like for Scott to address, please send those to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Now, Gary, we're going to go ahead and transition to the present day. Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what's going on in your ministry. And like I talked about, I definitely want to focus on some of the things that you've learned and have seen pastoring a church using the T for T principles. Yes. Um, and for, for you, the listener, T for T again is training for trainers. And, and mm-hmm. first off, I often hear of these kinds of principles being applied in the context of a house church or the simple church movement. What was the catalyst for you to try to apply those principles in the context of a church here in the U.S.? Um, I had been serving, uh, I planted a church in Fishers in 2000, 2001, and uh, for about five years we grew. Uh, we, we grew up to a good 200 in worship. A friend of mine had planted a church here uh, and had grown to over 300. In 2006, we merged the two together and grew from uh, 500 in worship to 1,500 in worship in the next five years. In that 10-year period, we had baptized a 1,000 people, and we had planted two churches. And uh, that, that 
that is at the very top uh, of being the most successful kinds of church plants in the United States. So from 2001 to 2011, 10 years, Mm -hmm. we had baptized 1,000. In that exact same 10 years, 2001 to 2011, Ying Kai went to his mission field in the Far East and saw a movement begin that baptized 1.7 million people and planted 158,000 churches. And when I read that, it destroyed me. I've, I've said for years, I'm too old to play church. Mm. And uh, I was in the business world for almost 20 years. And if, if I wanted to build a business, I would do one that's more profitable than church work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, and it just felt like um, that, Lord, there has to be a better way. We are, we are losing our cities at supersonic speed. We are, we are not able to um, make the impact in our culture that we should because not enough people are coming to Christ and not enough Christ followers are on mission. And uh, I said, Lord, I like that way, the way Ying Kai did it better than the way we've been doing it in the attractional church. And uh, so I left that work and started this new work with the purpose from the beginning that we are going to be engaged in making disciples that make disciples. And Ryan, when I say that so, so often, um, pastors or church leaders, their eyes kind of glaze over and say, oh, yes, we're a disciple-making church. Mm-hmm. And, and I just want them to stop and see, uh, really, or is that really what you're engaged in? Um, I, it's so important for us to learn how to get our head around God's plan, which is not evangelism or church growth by addition, but that his desire is that we would see disciple-making that leads to multiplication. And it takes a while to get your head around that idea. Um, it, when, when you start to get your head around the idea of multiplication, it changes the way you think about ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, as I was looking at your church's website, um, that my first thought was, you know, everything looked like a fairly traditional U.S. Mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looks like you maybe have a, a few hundred people. Is that mm-hmm. fairly accurate? Right, right. less um, than that, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, so it, it, it's definitely not what we would think of as the stereotypical house church either. I mean, you, right. you clearly have a building sure. and, and people who attend. How do you how do you approach disciple-making? How, how do you sort of bridge that context gap. Do you, do you understand the question I'm asking? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, our, uh, our Sunday morning gathering, uh, first of all, we don't have a building. We, oh, okay. meet, we meet in uh, a local, uh, it's actually a living history museum, which kind of makes sense when I'm the pastor there. And uh, so they just have a banquet facility and we rent, our, we rent some rooms there on Sunday morning, and my desire is to get through the rest of my ministry and never have a building. Um, I believe that when you get your head around multiplication, um, you can't build buildings fast enough and big enough to hold all the people. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a thought that, you know, a pastor can uh, understand that or, you know, uh, but buildings aren't wrong. I don't feel bad about buildings. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. for me, I don't, I don't want to have a building. But uh, on Sunday morning, we meet. 
we do a couple of things. First of all, we model the three-thirds that's the, the process of T4T, okay. meaning you take your time that you're meeting together and you divide it into thirds. In the first third of your time, you worship, you do some pastoral care, check in how people are doing. You have accountability where you honestly ask, how did you do last week obeying what you said you would do, following and fishing, sharing the gospel with, with others? Mm-hmm. And um, by the way, just, just an aside, Brian, and I want to say this loud and clear, yeah. a- accountability, no matter how how biblical, how loving, how encouraging the accountability is, um, which is what you want to do, create a culture of obedience, a culture of accountability, and do that without guilt or, or you know, shaming people, but just to say, look, we want to obey. How are we doing? How can we help each other obey what uh, Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission? But accountability as a, a, a part of worship is not an attraction strategy. Mm-hmm. That does not gather a big crowd when they know you're going to ask them, so how are you doing obeying? Now, we don't eyeball one person and pick them out of the group and, and ask. We just ask, hey, on the back of your prayer card, you can share what's going on in your life. We ask them to uh, list a highlight and a challenge. Uh, the highlight is something to thank God for, to praise Him, and the challenge is a prayer request. Mm-hmm. And then on the back, uh, we ask them to complete their disciple-making report. How did you do last week? Who did you share with? Um, how many groups are you leading? Who are you training? And uh, we ask that every week in the accountability section. And then there's a vision cast where we remind people why we do what we're doing, stories of encouragement, and uh, I, you know, here's how we're how are you doing? Here's some stories of people that are being faithful. Uh, might be a, a, a faith story of someone who just came to Christ. Uh, might show baptisms of people that were baptized. And um, and by the way, since we don't have a baptistry, mm-hmm. each person now this is this can this can make pastors uncomfortable. But the Great Commission is more of a command for each Christian to be a baptizer than it is a command to be baptized. We typically go to the Great Commission to tell someone why they ought to be baptized. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the Great Commission says, go, you know, uh, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And uh, so... I would say every pastor would say it is the responsibility of every Christian to make disciples. Mm-hmm. Well, then why isn't it the responsibility of every Christian to, to baptize? And uh, a, a pastor or a church has to kind of work through their ecclesiology <laughs> to determine uh, where they stand with that. But I think it's very clear. So we release people to go baptize. And uh, it's your responsibility to find water, not mine. You know, a hot tub. We we, I, we always tease that in the summer it's baptism season because it makes it real easy to baptize at pools and lakes and and uh, beaches wherever they want to go, hot tubs and uh, 
and to baptize and to release that ministry. So we do that, that vision cast. Then the middle third is the new lesson. And in the lesson on Sunday morning, I just preach a message. And, but I preach it in a way that they can learn the context of this passage and use it to help them lead their group through the week. So my thought is, I am here to encourage and equip Mm -hmm. the trainers who are training, as opposed to I'm trying to gather a crowd and hope that a couple of them will come to Jesus. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting distinction. Can we camp on that for just a second? Sure. So it sounds like your... The, the way that you're structuring your message, if you will, is specifically toward people who have already chosen to lead other people, and what you're giving them are the tools to do that. Is that, is that fair? Well said, Brian. You say it a lot quicker than I did. Good job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My, my thought is my audience, the, the target group that I want to talk to on Sunday morning are the trainers who are training others. And anyone else who wants to listen in, they can. And there are some that that um, that listen, and over a period of time, they begin to get it and begin to engage the Great Commission. There are others who just listen, and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus had had the crowd that listened to him. That's a good thing. So, um, but my my target, my specific purpose is on Sunday morning that we worship the Lord by learning how to better obey the Great Commission. And I didn't notice that Jesus gave us an alternative. Hmm. Like, why don't you do the Great Commission? But if you don't really like that one, uh, here's the second plan that you can do, Plan B. Mm-hmm. It's like, Brian, I, I don't see a Plan <laughs> B. He gave us one mission and said, go do that. And uh, that's the objective. And one of the most encouraging things is that we have learned in Philemon 6 in the old NIV, it says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will come to understand all the good things you have in Christ. As a a pastor, I believe that the thing that will create the most rapid and healthy spiritual growth in the life of a new believer is if immediately upon coming to Christ, they begin to get on mission by sharing their faith with others. Nothing will create spiritual growth more rapidly um, or more, more healthy than getting on mission from day one. And you don't just train them and throw them out to the wolves. You, you walk alongside them for two, three years, however long it takes, as you continue to mentor them and encourage them and help them as they're growing in their faith. But immediately upon coming to Christ, the first thing we teach them to do is to share their faith story and to share the gospel using a simple tool. Our, our gospel presentation is the bridge. Uh, you know, okay, you know yeah. that very common, familiar old way. And uh, that works in America because we have a basic foundation of Bible, basic Bible understanding. And... Um, meaning they know Jesus was God's son and that he was born and rose from the dead. They may not believe that, but at least they know that truth, that that Christians believe God created the universe and uh, so on. So we can start right with the, the bridge. Other cultures that don't have that foundation have to do more of a creation to Christ 
kind of gospel presentation. So as I think about uh, a church here in the U.S., you know, I, I guess I'm not exactly sure how to ask this question because I want to acknowledge that Jesus is the center of everything mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of our personal and also our life in, as a body. Right. But I'm wondering, what are some of the challenges that you've run into in terms of keeping TNT as part of your church's DNA? Um, that there's always a drift. Um, um, you know, there have been books written on it called Mission Drift, where where you where you get pulled away and, uh, you know, there is that natural gravity that, that the a group of believers at some point always want to turn inward. Mm. And so that's why it's so important that our leadership and that, that our staff and everyone engaged in the mission are constantly keeping the vision of what God called us to do and to be in front of us. And by the way, I have many great friends who are pastors in Fishers and Indianapolis area, mm-hmm. and and we are not the church for all people. I, I get that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'd love for it to be, but the truth is not everyone's going to like what we're about. And and my thought is if you want anonymity, that's a spiffy word, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you're going to have time. to. Yeah, that's right. This time of the word. Uh, if you want that, you're going to have to, you know, there's another church for you. There are churches that have wonderful programs and do an incredible job. And, and so there are other churches that you can be a part of. But here's what God's called us to be, and that we will be a disciple-making church that makes disciples who makes disciples who makes disciples. And uh, Ying Kai taught me that a disciple— does what his master does. So until a disciple is making a dis- making disciples, he's not really a disciple. He can be a Christian. Hmm. He's just not a disciple. But uh, and the disciples you're making are not disciples until they're making disciples. So the multiplication is built into the Great Commission. Jesus built it right into the to the uh, the way he shared the Great Commission. One thing, you know, we've we've talked a lot about some of the advantages of of this framework. Have you have you hit any disadvantages or challenges in terms of structuring a church this way? Um, yes, it, the biggest challenge that we've hit is we. What I want to see happen is that we plant churches in neighborhoods and workplaces and third places. Uh, third places where you have a gathering of people or or a relationship network outside of home neighborhood or or work, and uh, we want churches to be planted in those areas among lost people with lost people in the gathering. Mm. And um, what we've what we've experienced in America is calling that a church is. Um, uh, we've just gotten to the conclusion that that's DOA. That's just not going to work. <laughs> that that word, um, people won't get it. They they will be fully engaged in the life of their group. Mm-hmm. They will be doing all the all the functions of church. And when you ask them, "Is this your church?" they can't say yes. I mean, the ones who are most engaged, they they well, no, really, we're part of Onward, and this is our group. And it's like, all right, well, we'll just, Mm -hmm. we'll not fight that semantical uh, battle. What we'll do instead is 
we'll call these life groups. And I know churches have life groups, small groups. It, it doesn't matter. The point is life group is generic enough that we can fill it with meaning. Mm-hmm. And if the, if the group is doing all the things of a church, and um, uh, we, we've identified nine things that a church is supposed to do when you look at uh, Acts chapter 2, Mm-hmm. That that they baptized and they were baptized. They they taught the word of God. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They cared for one another. See, it's in that life group context, mm-hmm. that house church context, whatever you want to call that, that you actually obey the one another passages. That cannot be well done on Sunday morning in a gathering of a big crowd. There has to be relational capital that has been built that you can actually one another one another in a small group of people that you're doing life with around the Word of God. In that, in that group, you give to meet needs, um, financially give. You, uh, uh, you share the Lord's Supper in that group, another thing that that a church has to work through its ecclesiology and, Mm -hmm. and either that's okay or it's not. I mean, y'all can decide that it's just what, what we're doing. It's what happened by the way, in the early church, they met in the temple and then they met in homes to share the Lord's supper. And uh, so that's, that's how we've chosen to do it. And then they're engaged in making disciples who make disciples and they have caring and qualified leaders. So there are nine functions of the church that we see or elements or however you want to call that nine things that, that you do to be church. And, uh, so we've been, we've begun to ask not where do you go to church or where is your church or what's the name of your church, but rather who is your church? Mm. Give me names of the people who is your church. And, uh, that, makes a whole different way of thinking. I have buddies who are church planters and they'll send me pictures of their church plant. And, and it's a band on a stage with screens and beautiful looking setup. They'll show me a picture of a building. And I, I tell them, I say, Hey, really cool group of musicians. Where's your church? Show me your church. You're showing me the stage. You're showing me the building. Where's the church? And uh, I do that jokingly, so just teasing them. But, but it's like people are the church. So who is your church? Not what is the name of the 501C to which you write a check. Right. And uh, it's a different way of thinking. You have to get people to get their head around that idea. So we've shared a little bit about some of the mechanics and the challenges. To kind of tie a bow on this section mm-hmm. where we're talking about the ministry, I'd like to kind of get back to the foundation, because there's a lot of work that goes into being involved in any kind of ministry, especially pastoring a church. And what is it that when you approach all of this, what is it that fuels your passion for this? Um, Easy question, Brian. uh, When the Lord walked me through the valley of the shadow of death when my wife was killed, he proved himself to me and gave me a passion that I want people to know my Jesus. And, and then in 2010, July of 2010, 
our son, 27 years old, married, had two kids, um, was in a rodeo accident in upstate New York mm-hmm. and had a traumatic brain injury. And eight days in uh, to that where he was in a coma and completely unresponsive, the neurosurgeon walked into our room and said uh, to Kathy and I and um, our daughter-in-law, Randy, and her dad, all of us committed believers. And uh, But this neurosurgeon walked in and said, we don't believe Graham will ever wake up. We believe he will live, his word exact, in a persistent vegetative state. Hmm. And it was like sucking the air out of your lungs, uh, being hit in the stomach or something. And I kind of, you know, <laughs> shook me up and I took a breath and said, okay, doc, thank you for your help. Thank you for your service, for your care for Graham. But uh, there's something you're not factoring in. Mm -hmm. You see, we worship and serve the great physician, and we believe that he can overrule your prognosis. And we're going to continue to believe that Graham is going to make a full recovery. And, of course, the doctor began to patronize me as he would, you know. And and I'm thinking, honestly, Doc, I didn't say that for you. I needed to remind us who's in charge here when we just got this devastating news. And and God walking closely beside us through that horrible, horrible time. Two months later, Graham signed his own discharge papers and walked out the front of Sunnyview Rehabilitation Hospital. And he went back to work. And since then, they've had two kids. And it is just an incredible miracle of God. And and that just makes me want people to know my Jesus. I don't care if they ever know my name. I want them to know the name of Jesus. And he is so incredible and so awesome. And um, I, I just want people to know him. And we were spending way too much energy and way too much money, way too much time, seeing way too few results if the objective is that people would come to know Jesus. Hmm. And uh, if we keep doing what we're doing, we'll keep getting what we're getting. And uh, I just think we have to begin to change our methodology. I, I think of a pastor in, in a big church and they're, they're standing on the stage and it's like there's one disciple maker. It's the guy up front. And you have all these potential disciple makers sitting in rows looking at the back of the head in front of them. And I'm thinking, Lord, there's such incredible power in your church. If only we would equip and train the people to make disciples who make disciples. And Brian, one of the biggest challenges that hit me so hard that I had to ask the Lord for forgiveness when it hit me was as as a pastor for over 20 years at the time when we began uh, onward, um, I had taught the Great Commission, I had preached the Great Commission, I had encouraged people to obey the Great Commission, I had uh, challenged them, I had even rebuked them for not making disciples, but I never taught them how. Hmm. Now I taught, I taught witnessing classes and, and I taught the Bible, but I never delivered to the people a way to make disciples who, when you made a disciple, they would know how to make a disciple. And I'd never even thought it through. And I thought, what's the matter with me? How did I miss that one? 
That's kind of the big one, right? I'm supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And uh, I can remember at, at our former church that I would meet a businessman or something that's in our church, and I would say, hey, what's your ministry? And he'd say, oh, pastor, I'm on the host team. And Brian, everything in me wanted to say, man, I am so sorry we've done that to you that you think standing at the front door for an hour on Sunday morning, handing out a bulletin, is ministry? What have we done that, that you would answer me that way? The right answer is, oh, I'm engaged in disciple making on Monday morning when the phones ring and the real world began. Hmm. But see, we didn't teach them that. Well, we wanted to, we meant to, it, we just didn't. And uh, that's been a huge transition uh, is to get people to understand that the first thing you have to do is actually teach someone how to make a disciple who that new disciple would know how to make a disciple, and they could teach someone to make a disciple who would make a disciple. And um, that that's where the power and the multiplication comes. Wow. Yeah, I, I could actually probably sit here and talk about this all day because it, it's just <laughs> so exciting to me to hear what God has done and what God is doing. I'm constantly looking for ways to increase the value of the Engaging Missions show. And if you're looking for a way to get involved, I'm looking to expand the Engaging Missions team. Right now, I'm looking for help in two areas, research and show notes. Both of those areas would be on an as-needed basis, flexing based on the recording and publishing schedule. You'd need to have strong written communication skills, a heart for the body of Christ, and you'd need to be discreet because some of our guests need that discretion. If you're interested or you know somebody who might be a great fit for the Engaging Missions team, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com so we can start the conversation. Again, that's feedback at engagingmissions.com. I, th- I think that you've shared a little bit about the importance of people in the marketplace. And normally this is where I would ask, you know, if somebody is starting to wonder if what they're doing really matters for the kingdom. But what I'd like to do is ask you if there's somebody who's in the marketplace and they're going, hey, I believe that God is calling me to step up my game. I believe that mm-hmm. he's calling me to do something. Is right. there maybe a resource that you would point them to that would help them understand what they can, what their options are and what their opportunities are in the marketplace, uh, out in the world, wh- wherever they are? Absolutely. Um and, and not because we we did that. Actually, we took the lessons that Ying Kai developed and uh, we contextualized them for the United States, for actually for suburban United States, mm-hmm. if you want to be specific. It's where God's called us, yeah. is here in Fishers, a suburb of Indianapolis. And uh, so we have put it in that context where you can, first of all, you have to think through, all right, how do I make a disciple who could make a disciple? What do they need to know? What are the basics? What's the beginning? And uh, so we have six lessons, which are based on the six lessons that Ying Kai used. Uh, the first lesson is to teach them um, the, the why and how of sharing the gospel. Why do they do it and how do they do it? And to whom do they go? And uh, one of the strategies that we have been very intentional about, Brian, is the, the strategy of oikos, mm-hmm. which is the Greek word for household. In other words, 
Uh, cold calling evangelism is awesome. Praise God for those who do it. But our argument is you should start right with the people God has put in your life. Those are the ones that he intends for you to share Christ with. And so go to them. And uh, we help them make a name list and we teach them how to share their faith story in two minutes or less. We teach them how to share the gospel, so transitioning from their faith story right into a gospel presentation. We teach them to actually ask someone if they would believe, not just to share the gospel and say, well, there you go, you know, but, yeah. but actually ask them to put their faith in Christ. We teach them how to, uh, once, they have, once the person has come to Christ and you've taught them how to share their faith story in the gospel, then you teach them how to pray how to study the Bible for themselves using inductive Bible study methods so that a brand new Christian can begin to feed himself or herself, and then how to be a part of the church, how to follow the Father. Um, in America, we have uh, Father is not always a good uh, thought in a person's mind, and we need to teach them that, that God, as our Heavenly Father, um, that He is the perfect Father that you always wanted and what he does. And then finally, how to get on mission and actually have a ministry in the sphere of influence where God has placed you. And they begin to actually understand what they're supposed to do and be very strategic in beginning to plan how they will approach their life to be on mission for Christ. And then there's one other lesson. It's lesson seven, and it's the Bible, and lesson seven never ends. So when people say, oh, boy, you know, just make shallow disciples, not at all, not at all. So you start with the six lessons, and then lesson seven is, is the Bible, and you, you teach that for forever. I'm still learning the Bible after all these years. You know, one of the things that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is you're, you're talking about basically six or seven lessons, and you talked about how your, your current your your services are structured when everybody comes together at the mm-hmm. at the place that you meet at. Um, it, it would seem like over the course of time that six lessons might not be enough, but I get the sense that that's probably not the case. Can you share with us maybe a little bit more about that? Yes, you have the initial six lessons that that you do with a brand new believer. Those are the first six lessons you teach them, and then lesson seven you continue. We go through the Gospel of Mark. We go through the book of Romans. We go through some basic um, uh, discipleship kinds of things like, like um, how to apply God's word to your life and how to, how to uh, know God's will and, and how to experience God's forgiveness and how to forgive. Those kinds of lessons we do as well. So, so we have actually a structured two-year discipleship program. Um, that you could follow lesson after lesson after lesson and do that for a period of two years. So, um, yeah, it's not just the six lessons, but the issue is that you begin with the basics of how to make a disciple who makes a disciple. And to do that, you need to share your faith story and the gospel and learn how to pray and learn how to study the Bible and learn how to be a part of the church and follow the Heavenly Father and how to have a ministry. So um, we start with the basics, I guess is a way to say, but yeah. that's not just six lessons by any means. Very good. Thank you for clearing that up. Now, uh, as we as we kind of come to a close here, is there maybe an inter- internet resource or a book that you'd recommend for our listeners if they want to learn more about this? Absolutely. The book they should get is T4T, uh, A Discipleship Re-Revolution by Steve Smith, 
with Ying Kai. And they can go online, just Google T4T, and that'll pop up, that book, and you can get the book and order it. Uh, I would encourage you to get that. Now, when you get the book, um, I just promise you, as you begin to read it, it is not a light and easy read. <laughs> you have to spend some energy on that book. It'll give you brain cramps as you go through, try to get your head around the concepts that are being shared. Um, but I would encourage to have that as a basic. And then if they'd like, they can go to our website, onwardchurch.org. And on the website, you'll see the resources, the downloads, and all of the lesson materials that we have available are download for free. Use them, change them, use them in your own context. Uh, I heard someone say once that when you're in a war, it's no time to ration bullets. So, uh, you know, use that in any way that you can and uh, whatever would be helpful. And let me know if I can help in some way as well. So, um, absolutely. Okay. And for those listening, uh, if you're if these in- resources sound interesting to you, just stop by the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Gary Stump. And I'll have all of that there for you linked up so that you can just click through and, and get that. We're going to take just a quick break to hear from next week's guest. And I worked for J.C. Penney's 38 years, but at this particular moment, I said, well, I'll just look and see where he wants me to get to go. Mm-hmm. And it, first one, I didn't really know where to look, so I asked somebody at our church, and he said, well, go to the IMB Volunteer Network. So I did, and I hit this screen. The first thing that came up was Niger, Africa. And I said, Niger? I never heard of that place. He must not want me to go there. So I kind of clicked off and said, I'll come back in a few weeks and see. Mm-hmm. But I came back and did the same thing, Niger. So I said, okay, I guess you want me to go to Niger, Lord. So I sent a note to the uh, the missionary there, which I didn't think he could use me. And this is part of my story, too, because I'm a lay person that sometimes you feel like because of your past, even though you're washed clean, you know, that God may not be used you and you'd be effective. So I didn't think he would want me to come to Niger. Well, the guy said, come on down. And I went, oh, my gosh, I'm going to <laughs> Niger, Africa. You know, and that was kind of shaking. It was by myself. And I guess God wanted to know if I was going to be obedient to go at the age of 56. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I said, I'll be there. But then a guy in my Sunday school class said him and his wife were praying, said that God told him to go with me, because, I mean, him to go with me because God wanted me to come back alive. Yeah. So, so he sent a guy that was a world traveler with me to help me get to where I was going. And with that, we're going to get back to this week's guest as we close out the interview. Now, Gary, as we bring this to a close, would you mind sharing with us maybe one last piece of advice? Absolutely. I, I heard someone say early on, trust the process. And I didn't know what that meant, but all we did was stay at the three-thirds process, which is at the heart of the T4T concepts. And, uh, and we just began to trust the process. And in that process, um, we trained everyone and the doers quickly emerged. So that would be another. Don't just pick key people to train. Train everyone and the person you'd least expect to be the most effective disciple maker uh, might just rise to the surface and surprise you. Wow, that's great. Gary, thanks so much for being here. This has been an absolute pleasure for me. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you, Brian. God bless all of us who are engaged in Christ's mission in the world. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions Show. 
You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes by visiting engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. Audio editing for this program was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studios. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.